Welcome to a bonus episode of Fly on the Wall. I'm Haley. And I'm Dalton. Our guest for this special episode is former CIA officer and current representative for Texas's 23rd District, Congressman Will Hurd. Before we jump into this bonus episode, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fly on the Wall Pod, or email us at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. And make sure you stay tuned through the end of this episode. We have a really exciting announcement about our summer plans that you won't want to miss. And with that, let's get into the interview. Congressman Hurd, thank you so much for making time to talk to us today. Um, you had a really long career and starting very early on before Congress, uh, you pursued work behind the scenes at the CIA. What inspired you to start that way? Sure, well, I didn't think I was gonna do that, right? When I was a, when I was a kid, um, I liked building things. And when I was in, in high school, I um, had an internship at a place called the Southwest Research Institute with this female engineer who was a robotics genius. And I fell in love with that program and wanted to become a, a comp- you know, computer scientist. And so I started pursuing, I'm taking some computer science classes in, in high school and decided to study that at Texas A&M. And my first, the first summer um, after, it, it, my, the summer of my freshman year, I had really, at that point in my life, never really been outside of Texas. Now, I'd been to Langston, Oklahoma, basically like Texas, um, and I had been to Indiana, but I was like eight uh, for my grandmother's funeral, so I didn't, I didn't know anything. I don't remember that. And then I, had, I, I toured uh, campus at Stanford. I was going to go to Stanford, um, but I chose A&M instead, and, and so, but I'd never left campus. So, so technically, I really hadn't gone outside of Texas. And that summer, I took two journalism classes in Mexico City. Um, it, I saw a sign, and I was in my engineering building, I saw a sign that says take two journalism classes in Mexico City for $425, and I had 450 bucks in my bank account, so I go to Mexico. Fell in love, being in another culture, I thought it was cool, seeing things I had only read about in books, right? Um, well, I, I, I went, like everybody, I went to the Pyramid of the Sun, right, which is north of Mexico City, and... Everybody thinks the Pyramid of Sun was built by the Aztecs. No, it was built a thousand years before the Aztecs. And we don't even know the name of the people that built the Pyramid of the Sun because the name Pyramid of the Sun is from the Aztecs. Right? Like, that kind of stuff blew my mind. And, and so I added international studies as a minor. And the first class I took in international studies, I had a guest lecturer named Jim Olson and he was this former CIA badass that told the most amazing stories. Uh, he, was a old, he was a cold warrior. He was, he was involved in catching that traitor, Aldrich Ames. He told amazing stories. And the next day, I did something I had never done before in my college career. I went to a professor's office and knocked on the door, right? And said, tell me more. And that began my fascination in the, the CIA. And, and look, ultimately, I decided to go work in the CIA. My dad tried to counsel me. Now, I, was, I had a, a really good job offer to work at IBM to be a, a programmer. It was three times. My starting salary was going to be three times the starting salary of going in the CIA, CIA as a GS7. Um, but I thought the opportunity to serve my country in exotic places was awesome, right? And, and, and I learned after the fact that, you know, we all take a, a psychological profile and all these things. Um, you know, 
I have a problem with authority, right? So, so, so someone telling me what to do and me following is probably not necessarily going to happen. So going in the military would have been a bad idea for me, but being able to go into the clandestine service and be in the back alleys of dangerous places at four o'clock in the morning, collecting intelligence on threats to our homeland, recruiting spies and stealing secrets. It was, it was awesome. Right. And anyway, it's a very long winded answer to a short question, but, but Haley, I asked you this question. So I like, not only was I a case officer that did the, the collecting, um, I also managed people and you know who my best officers were? Who? My women case officers. Right. You know, we always hear about, we always hear about James Bond, right? But Teresa Bond is way cooler and way more effective. <laughs> and, and I just say, I just say that because I'm, I'm assuming some of the, some of the students that are, that are listening um, to y'all's podcast, uh, for some of, some of your, 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 your women listeners, uh, and thinking about your career, a career in intelligence is a place where I have seen female officers um, really shine and, and excel. Did that answer your question? I don't even remember what the original question was now. Sorry. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great segue into what got you motivated to work in public service. And on a similar note, what inspired you to change that direction and run for Congress? Sure. So, so I, I spent nine and a half years in the agency. I, I did two years in, in training. Um, a lot of that was that what I used to call the super secret CIA training facility called the farm. Now it's on Google maps. Um, you know, I, I always wish that was a joke. It's real. It's really on Google maps. Um, and then I did two years in India, two years in Pakistan, two years in New York city doing interagency work. And then a year and a half in Afghanistan, where I manage all of our undercover operations. Best job on the planet. One of the things I love about the CIA early on, as a, as, a, as a young officer, you get real responsibility and real authority early on in your career. Um, you know, I had to deliver the, uh, the Indian rupee equivalent of a million dollars in a bag, you know, to somebody who was giving us uh, secrets that was worth uh, uh, the, the Indian equivalent of a million dollars, right? And, and it was, and I was the only person, I was 24 at the time, right? Um, and, and so I, I the, the I, my, in addition to collecting intelligence, I had to brief members of Congress. And, and I briefed members when I was overseas and all those posting, I, I briefed probably 200, honestly about 200, RSDs, men, women, all 50 states, and to be frank, I was pretty shocked by the caliber of our elected officials. And, and, and one, one story I've told before, um, I'm, I'm posting in Kabul, and um, it was, it was 0330, 04 o'clock um, in the morning, and a bomb goes off in front of our embassy. It takes out a section of our wall, kills some of our local guards. My unit is responsible for trying to figure out what happened. So we ended up conducting a couple dozen operations in a short period of time. And we had a HIPSI CODO, a House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence Congressional Delegation out in Kabul, right? So I go into this briefing and it was supposed to be, so usually in the briefings we're supposed to be in business casual. And, um, you know, my, my deputy goes, Will, are you going to change? Because I was in tactical gear. And when I was overseas, I had a real big, long, bushy beard, grew my, grew my hair out. 
Um, it's funny, my campaign team always asks, like, do you have pictures when you were in the, in the CIA? And I always laugh, like, no. I don't think anybody in West Texas wants to see pictures of me looking like a Taliban, you know? Um, and so, so I, walk into, I walk into this briefing, and I overhear a member of Congress say, is the CIA going to cut this briefing short so we can get to the bazaar to buy rugs? I'm annoyed. Get in the briefing. And a senior member on this committee, he had been on the committee for five years, asked, and this was 2008, 2009, why was Iran not supporting the Taliban in Afghanistan the way Iran was supporting other groups in Iraq? Okay. And, and so for sophisticated listeners uh, that like listen to your podcast, now that's kind of a crummy question, but hey, you got all the right people, right? So, so I start explaining the Sunni-Shia divide. And this member of Congress goes, um, Will, what's the difference between a Shia and a Sunni? And I'm thinking he's getting ready to make a really inappropriate joke. And who am I to deny him this opportunity? And my response was, I don't know, Congressman, what's the difference, right? And I thought, I, and I said it just like, I said it just like that. I, I thought, and then I was going to be like, but I'm bum bum, right? His face goes bright red, didn't know that difference in this one. Right? It's okay for my brother not to know that difference in Islam because he sells cable in San Antonio, Texas. But for someone who's making decisions on how billions of hard-earned taxpayer dollars is being spent, unacceptable. Someone who's making decisions on spending, on sending our brothers and sisters and moms and dads to places like Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan, unacceptable. My mama said, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. So I left a job I loved when my time was up in Afghanistan, moved back to my hometown of San Antonio, Texas, um, and ran for Congress. Then I lost a runoff by 700 votes because I don't tell that story anymore. Um, but, but that is what caused me. I thought that I could help the intelligence community in a different way uh, by, by running for office. So you mentioned a lack of institutional knowledge as a reason that you ran for Congress. Which of your unique experiences do you think was the greatest contribution to the chamber when you were in office? Sure. Uh, look, great question. And, and I always look, look, I'm a professional intelligence officer. And when you're in the National Clandestine Service, that's the part of the, the CIA that did what I did. Um, you're collectors of last resort, meaning that if you can't get a piece of information any other way, that's when they come. That's when, you know, policymakers and the president comes to you, right? And, and the reason that we were good is because we collect information from a lot of different sources and different people, right? And just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's necessarily true. So the ability to sort through information to try to get to the truth is a skill set that is super important being in Congress. Um, you, you, get, you get all kinds of... of uh, interests that are looking at a piece of legislation um, or, you know, something that a constituent needs to get done and being able to evaluate, you know, the information that you're receiving um, so you can make decisions on that has been, has been critically, has been critically important. Um, I've often joked, I've gotten more surveillance being in Congress than I did when I was, when I was in the CIA, um, being in a contested you know, district that that is you know always considered one of the the, the most contested seats in the country. Um, you always had trackers and stuff following. So so knowing how to set surveillance 
came in handy as well. Um, but but the ability to to um, analyze information is important, and, and I think that's critical now in this in this day and age where there's so much information available at our fingertips, and that disinformation um, is is becoming a tool of statecraft by by other countries. And and so having an experience in that and and dealing in that world um, has has made it helpful for me to be effective, but also to be able to talk about when the the, the Chinese Communist Party is using disinformation around COVID nineteen, you know how to how to understand that, or you know why were the Russians trying to to get involved in our elections in twenty sixteen to erode trust in our democratic institutions, and and why was that. Um, so those that skill set came in handy, and and then when when you look at my background is national security and and foreign policy, having real experience and bringing that um, to the table is important. A lot of people ask me all the time, "Hey, I want to run for office. What should I do?" I always say, "Go get a job first, right? Get it, have a career, um, have some experience that you can bring and work on those issues." Yeah, that's great. So on a, a much lighter note, uh, can you tell us how you ended up driving from Texas to D.C. with Beto O'Rourke and what you've learned about bipartisanship while you've been in office? Sure, sure. Look, th th what I've learned about bipartisanship is, is real simple. The only way big things get done is if you do them together, right? And, 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 and in a district like mine, I get rewarded for solving problems. Um, unfortunately, what happens in a lot of districts, decisions are made in the primary. And so if, if the decision is made in the primary, people only care about a, a small segment of the people that they represent. And, and that's, that is a, a problem. And so for me, uh, the only way, look, I've, I think I'm at 15 or 16 pieces of legislation signed into law in five and a half years. Uh, that's more legislation that's been signed into law than most people have when they've been up here for decades. That doesn't even include the amendments we've gotten in or the, or the, the things we've gotten into base text of, of legislation. Uh, the reason I've been able to be effective legislatively is because, you know, I, I, I work on things um, that, you know, is uh, solve a real problem and, and do it in a bipartisan way. The road trip with, with Beto. So Beto and my districts uh, touch one another. And so uh, we worked at, and, and he represents the city of El Paso. Um, there's a county also, El Paso. I represent some of the rural parts of El Paso County. And so Beto and I had worked on uh, border trade issues, um, veteran affairs issues. And, and Beto at the time was the only Texan on the VA, the Veterans Affairs Committee. And I had a number of veteran organizations in San Antonio that wanted to speak with someone from the VA committee. And so I asked Beto to come down um, to talk VA issues. And, and we had we had three we had three big meetings with with key groups. And uh, in the first meeting we were in, we were supposed to be flying back the next day to Washington D.C. Uh, for votes. And there was a um, a snowstorm. I, I think it was like Snowmageddon 7 in Washington, D.C. It's like anytime there's snow, everybody's like, oh, my God, this is the end of the days. Um, but it, it was but it was serious enough that airlines canceled their flights. And so I'm at the second meeting. Beto goes, hey, you want to drive back to D.C.? And I said, let me think about that. Third meeting, I said, OK. Um, I found out later Beto never thought I was going to say yes. Um, so, so we rented a, um, you know, the only people that would give us a car to drive one way to Washington, D.C. 
was a rental agency and we got a 1999 uh, Chevy Impala, if, if I remember correctly. And um, we decided to live stream the whole thing. So it was a 31 hour trip, um, 20, 29 hours in the car, and um, I think 27 hours live streamed. Um, and, and we think it was the largest rolling telephone town hall um, in the history of. But that's why, and, and we, we debated the issues. And so we had a trust between one another. We disagreed on a, on a whole lot, um, but we were able to, to show and, and, and folks uh, appreciated that. And what, what, what I learned from that experience is something that I had, been, I had seen during my time in my district that way more unites us than divides us and that people actually want us to solve problems, right? And that seems kind of old fashioned when you think about, you know, how um, cantankerous times we're in and how hyper-partisan times that we're in now. But the reality and the experience that I've seen um, is that people are craving us to solve problems and, and get things done. Absolutely. And uh, you kind of mentioned being in Texas and you're the, actually the last Republican representing a district on the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, why do you think this is the case and what do you think the future looks like for those seats? Uh, look, good question. And, and to be honest, I, why is that? Why is that? I, um, you know, I, I haven't I, I haven't I can't give you a, a solid answer. Right. Um, but I, I can tell you this. Um, the challenges at the border is unique. I represent more border than any other member of Congress, 820 miles of the border. And, and what, what people, well, those of us that are along the border understand, is that every mile of the border is very different than every other mile. You can't have a one-size-fits-all solution um, to, to the problem. Um, and that border trade, you know, trade, uh, Mexico is one of our most important trading partners. We're lucky to have Mexico and Canada as our neighbors. Um, and, and now that we've gotten through the USMCA, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada um, trade agreement, uh, we should be talking about how do we increase North American competitiveness in other parts of the world. And, and so, 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 you know, you have to spend time on it to understand it. Um, you have to understand different perspectives. You have federal law enforcement, border patrol along the border. You have uh, the, the local law enforcement, whether it's a city police or a sheriff. You have people that own the land, you know, along the border. You have businesses that operate on both sides of the border or have employees on both, both sides of the border. And so understanding those nuances is important. Um, and so, you know, people that from uh, La Frontera, which, you know, is basically the border, are going to look for someone who understands those unique perspectives. And, 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 and that's why, you know, I continue uh, to get elected in a district. You know, I'm one of three Republicans in a seat that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. Um, this is a, a, you know, the most competitive congressional seat in, in 2018. Um, and the reason I continue to, to win is because I represent the entire district and, and, and ultimately try to solve problems. We can't secure our border, right? You know, there are problems along our border. We have seen an increase in illegal immigration, you know, over the years. 
Um, but we should be using technology and manpower. We should be making sure that we're compensating Border Patrol the right way. Uh, we should be using the latest and greatest technology along the border. Most of the border, look, honestly, prior to my time in Congress, the border, the stuff along the border was like 20 years old. And, and, and a lot of times it wasn't actually on the border. It was like somebody sitting in some van, you know, miles away from the border. And, and you required a PhD in computer science to work the tool. Right, but now we're getting technology in the hands of Border Patrol agents so they can see over that ridge and know what's going on. Um, so this is how we pr protect things. Oh, and by the way, how about we treat the drug trafficking organizations and kingpin human smugglers um, as, a, as a high priority intelligence issue and, collect, and increase the collection we have on those groups and stop them become they, before they come to our border. Um, so so I, I think that's the perspective that most folks along the border get because in my district, El Paso is very different than even Eagle Pass, which is on the other end. Uh, but people on, in, in my community understand that I know the nuance of this and I'm working on behalf of them. So we have to ask if you're allowed to tell us, what's up next for you? What are you gonna do after you retire from Congress? Sure, look, it, it's, a, it's gonna be a mix of things, right? And, and I, can't, I can't finalize anything until I'm actually out of Congress. Um, but I'll, I'll do something in the media. I'll do something in private sector, you know, where that, that, that nexus of, of national security and, and technology is. I'll do something in academia. Um, yes, we need more cyber warriors. Uh, we need more um, folks, that, data scientists that understand, you know, artificial intelligence. But we also need more staffers on the Hill that understand technology and people at FTC and FCC, right? So can we help build kind of like an institute on technology and, and policy? And then fourth, politically, I'm, I'm staying involved. Um, I, I believe the, you know, if the Republican Party doesn't start looking like America, there won't be a Republican Party in America. And so I'm trying to help um, great candidates in primaries uh, to make sure that there are people that you know can take our uh, a Republican message to communities that haven't seen many Republicans. I think you know it goes back to that competition of ideas, right? That has led to bipartisan legislation is important, and, and you need people that are willing to engage um, in that competition of ideas. So those are kind of the four buckets that I talk about about what's next. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what the world looks like in in, in nine months. Um, but I'm I'm excited to be able to continue working on issues that I care about, foreign policy, national security, technology, uh, working on the digital divide between rural and, and, and urban areas, um, and, and to be able to work on those things in a different way is, is exciting. And, and people are like, you know, Will, why are you leaving? I'm like, look, I left a job that I love because I thought I could help the, you know, the intelligence community in a different way when I left the CIA to run for Congress. And I'm leaving Congress because I think I can help my country in, in a different way. So um, it's exciting. Congressman Hurd, thank you so much for joining us this morning and um, all of your time in public service. We look forward to seeing what you do in the future. Awesome, I really appreciate that. I'll come back on once we figure that out. How about that? Y'all have a great day. All right, thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Now for our special announcement. For the first time, Fly on the Wall is launching a summer season. We will be interviewing guests with a focus on the 2020 campaign cycle, from political operatives to staffers, journalists, and beyond. Stay tuned to get an inside look at the 2020 elections. We're really excited to launch this season, and we want to hear from you, our listeners. 
If you have any guests that you'd like to hear from, content you want to hear about, please reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fly on the Wall Pod, or feel free to email us at flyonthewallpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you let us know what you think, any ideas you have, and tune in for the launch of our summer season on June 7th. See you then. Thank you.